Hello and welcome to another episode of I Could Never Be Here on Popcorn Talk. Man, this music just gets me going. Happy Thanksgiving to you guys as well. And I certainly love this week. We all have a lot to be thankful for, certainly the blessings in our life. Just life itself, health, certainly family and friends as well. And I'm thankful for you guys joining me for another episode here, another week, another time to seek some motivation and inspiration. Guys, this is an episode that I've been looking forward to for a long time because of today's guest and because I'm an avid sports fan, especially college basketball. And I want to put into perspective his accomplishments. Now, every year across the U.S., there are thousands upon thousands of coaches at various levels. Now, there are a couple thousand college basketball coaches. Only 351 coaches every year get the opportunity to coach at a Division I school. And every year, come March and April, only one of those coaches gets to cut down the net for the final time as the champion of Division I men's college basketball. In the history of the game, there's only been 50 men who have done it. We have one in studio today. He's coached for over 20 years, has 450-plus wins. Please help me welcome Jim Herrick. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Nice to be here. Absolutely. Do you miss coaching? Because you, you retired a couple of years ago. Do you miss it? Oh, you miss practice. You miss being with the fellas. You miss games. You miss a lot of things. But there's a lot of things that you don't miss also. <laughs> like what? Like the recruiting, like the compliance, like the academics, like the officiating, yeah. like all the paraphernalia that goes that that the hats that you wear, uh, there are about twelve hats, and I only like one or two of them now. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, we were talking before the the pressure is a little less, you know, when we're talking about stuff because you're not coaching, so you can say, "Oh, I think this team. Oh, I think this player." I, I got every answer. Like, well, I got every answer. I'm always right too. Absolutely. Uh, when you're retired, you sit there and you second guess and you talk and you say whatever you want to. You're highly opinionated, but. <laughs> Uh, and know. every one of those opinions is right because nobody can prove yeah. you wrong. That's right. That's there you, right. There you go. Again, thank you guys for joining us for another episode. If you'd like to follow after the show, you can follow me on Instagram, on Twitter, at the Only MC. We're live here on YouTube every day at 410 Pacific Time. You can also follow us, obviously, on iTunes as well, Five Let Podcast. A lot of people are going to be traveling for Thanksgiving. This is the one you want to watch. Tell your friends. You uh, coach for four teams. I know Pepperdine, uh, Georgia. You coach for UCLA. Rhode Island. And Rhode Island was the final one with Lamar Odom. Correct. UCLA, your favorite time among them? Well, I had great times everywhere. You know, to be in Malibu every day for nine years is not yeah. a bad, not bad <laughs> duty. Um, there are worse places to work. My wife and I go out there at a game every year, and she elbows me and says, why did you ever leave this place? <laughs> it's so beautiful. And, of course, UCLA was a, you know, a, an epitome of coaching. It, it was uh, certainly a highlight, but I really loved my time at Rhode Island. I had some great young kids, and we came within an inch of going to the Final Four. The guy still got the whistle lodged in his throat that he missed a call on. <laughs> And then I had as good a time as I ever had anywhere at Georgia. So, you know, every place I had, I had a great run at Morningside High School in Inglewood. Mm-hmm. So I still got players I talked to. So, you know, you can't, it's like picking a child. You can't pick one. Every place I've been is really special. I was going to say, and you spent so much time there. Like you said, the players that go through, you keep up with a lot of the players? From, from high school uh, on all the way, mm-hmm. you know, in fact, uh, had an opportunity to coach uh, uh, Kevin Love's father, Stan, who played oh. in the NBA. And he called me this summer. He says, hey, we're having our 67, 1967 50-year reunion. 
We had a really good team and some guys that I was just really close with on that team that I've kept and, being and, close with. And where was that? That they had it down at uh, North Ranch Country Club. And was that in more when you were coached high school, or what uh, level yeah, was that? That was high school. Okay. Yeah, and uh, so I went. <laughs> and uh, we had a great time. I mean, some of the guys there were just really special, and we've kept in touch. And so I went, and my wife and I went. We had a great time. Yeah. Obviously, your legacy, I mean, 451 victories in college. But is that mind-blowing for you? Do you think back and you remember all of those victories? Well, you don't remember them all, but uh, you certainly remember the, the losses you had wherever mm. they were. I spent 29 years in college, and – I had absolutely a marvelous run in basketball. Mm-hmm. All I was a JV coach in high school and mm-hmm. a high school basketball coach. And- hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Uh, assistant in college for six years and then a head coach for 23. So uh, the run, the journey was just spectacular. Yeah, so many, so many different schools, so many different positions. What got you started? I mean, growing up, how we, how we actually met. I mean, we met at a gala and we connected because you grew up in Charleston, West Virginia, and I used to work there as a news reporter. Correct. This, growing up in Charleston was coaching always the goal. Was you, you enjoy watching basketball? Well, in those days, a guy like me could play on the team. <laughs> Today, I don't know if I could play. What position? I was a point guard right. on, a, on a high. I was a really good junior high player and a good high school player, and I played in college. And then I came out here and just started teaching and got my masters. And and all of a sudden, I was playing a lot of industrial league ball, and I met the head coach at Morningside High School, Elise Smelser. Mm-hmm. And uh, we hooked up, became good friends, and he hired me at Morningside High School. And uh, were you teaching then too? Because a lot of high school I was, coaches, I was teaching. I was an English teacher at Morningside, and uh, I was teaching junior high because you have to have five years in, in California before you can teach high school. Oh, really? So I'd only had four years, so I had to go back and I went to UCLA extension program and got my credential, and then I went to USC and got my master's. And I uh, got hired at Morningside, and I spent five years as a JV coach and head baseball coach and mm-hmm. JV basketball coach. And I got the head coaching job when Lee went on to a College of the Canyons. And mm-hmm. uh, it was just – I just had a spectacular journey, man. We have some great, great players. And uh, we had the number one high school team in America in 73 at Morningside High School. What pressure comes with being the number one team at a high school level like that? Well, there's not a lot of pressure in it. Uh, <laughs> no one, you know, few, it's a hypothetical thing because it was kind of, you, you know, undefeated? Uh, what was the we, won four, we won 45 straight games. Wow. We got beat in the playoffs, but we won 45 straight games. Is the attitude when you you know you had forty one or forty two or even in the thirties? Is it are you just focused on the next one? Is that what you keep telling your team? One at a time, one at a time. Today, you know, you haven't beat anybody today. Who you think you are? You have not beat one person today, and so that's kind of the attitude you take. When you start off in college, like you said, you you know you look back on it now, and it was you know a junior high, high school during your uh, 
like uh, assistant coach at college, college. Uh, you had one year in the uh, developmental league for the NBA. But when you start out, it, it, is your plan to keep moving on? I mean, I feel like so many coaches, they start small and then they keep growing. You know, I never had any visions of uh, coaching in college. I never really had that uh, we had uh, Lee Smelser was a head coach, and I was the assistant. We had Stan Love, Kevin Love's mm-hmm. father. And from that, we had he got recruited heavily by a guy named Frank Arnold at Oregon. And then when Lee moved on, I had another kid by the name of Billy Ingram, Pastor Billy Ingram, uh, who ran the Maranatha Community Church in Martin Luther King Boulevard in, in, in town. And uh, he recently passed away. And one of the great greatest leaders I've ever had. And and uh, he got recruited by Frank Arnold, and then uh, uh, John Wooden hired Frank Arnold. Mm-hmm. We came down here, and he knew me more than anybody. <laughs> so we became really good friends, and I was a director of the John Wooden basketball camps, and between Coach Wooden and Frank Arnold, they recommended me at Utah State, and I got the assistant's job there. Spent four years there, and, and then I got hired at UCLA as an assistant, and that was a turning point in my career. That's when you knew you wanted to do it? Well, I knew I'd probably be, get a head coaching job then. After I went to UCLA, I thought, well, I can get a head job from here. And two years later, I got an offer to go to Pepperdine, and, you know, people wanted to say, hey, wait, and get a bigger job. But, you know, I had three sons. They were all born here in Southern California, and I was 40 years old, and, and somebody wanted me to be a head basketball coach in Division One, and so I couldn't say no because I, I trained all my guy, everybody I've ever dealt with. I said, you can't turn that jobs down like that. Some you can, but not very many. Yeah. And I spent nine years at, at Pepperdine and Malibu, and they were fabulous years. Yeah, you went to uh, – look this up. You went to the NCAA second round uh, once. You went to the first round uh, three other times there and two other times for the NIT. Yeah. It, we went to seven postseasons in nine years at Pepperdine, and that was a great run. Obviously having uh, John Wooden in your corner to back you, you're talking about uh, to get some of those opening jobs. That had to help, huh? For people who don't know, John Wooden, the all-time uh, leader as far as college basketball championships at UCLA. My leader, my mentor, my advisor, my idol, just everything you could ever think of. And I remember uh, I coached my fifth game in high school in my first year. Mm-hmm. We're playing out out here in the valley at Sherman Oak, at Notre Dame High School in Sherman Oaks, and and I go to sit down. I look around, and there's sitting John Wooden, who had just won his seventh national championship, <laughs> sitting four rows behind me, watching me coach. And I went, "Oh my <laughs> land, heaven's sakes!" And from that moment, he always knew my name, always called me by my name. And that summer, I became the first director of the John Wooden basketball camps, and. Our relationship grew and grew, and it was just spectacular. Not even basketball, we had a great relationship. Did you pick his brain? I mean, was it you asking him questions? We'd have camp, and we'd have a a huge, long uh, seating area where the coaches sat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Mm -hmm. And he sat there, and I sat right across from him, and I directed everything. I told the coach, I said, just ask him a question. And all us coaches got a master's degree in coaching by just listening and, to And him. he was happy to just share advice. Oh, loved to talk basketball. Loved to talk basketball. He was an amazing human being. Mm-hmm. What was the best piece of advice that you got from him, I mean, basketball-related and maybe just life-related? I could go on forever talking about John Wooden, but I learned, to, I learned to take no, not, never out of my vocabulary when I was on the floor. 
And if you do it positively, I could even yell at a guy and say, young man, to make the same mistake over and over is embarrassing, <laughs> or anything like that is a positive statement because you're using no negatives. Hmm. And I could just scream and yell, I want it done like this, is a positive statement. And as soon as you use negatives with young people, you'll see their chin go down on their chest and they put their head down and you've kind of lost them a little bit. That was one great piece of advice. I mean, I could go on and on forever. Well, that, that's a piece of advice that's good for basketball, but also good for life, too. It's really good for parents. But it's hard to it's hard to do that, you know, emotionally to take no not never out of your vocabulary. But uh, if you can do that, boy, uh, it helps you in life and being positive. And another thing, it's amazing, absolutely amazing, how a young person's hearing improves when he hears praise. Hmm. And I can we we don't have enough time for me to talk about <laughs> things I learned from John Wooden. Did you consider yourself kind of a de facto parent to a lot of these kids with the number of hours that you're spending with them during and after school and on long trips and the lessons that you teach them? Probably more than I spent with my own children. And that's why you need a great wife to, to raise your family for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly uh, wanted to be a, a model and not a critic. Mm-hmm. Wanted to be an example for young people. And if they were devoid of a parent, I would certainly try to take a role like that. I know Lamar Odom's mother died when he was 12, and his father was not very well, and so he really had no one. And and, uh, I was kind of the first, I think the first guy that that, that put the foot down on him and said, hey, you're going to sit down, you're going to study, you're going to study hall, you're going to do this. And and, uh, our coaching staff at Rhode Island and the University of Rhode Island laid a great foundation for Lamar Odom to be a professional basketball player. What do you look for when you're recruiting players? And that's something that you do every year. You're recruiting, you know, a dozen plus players to come and trying to get them to come to your school, but you're looking at things and obviously basketball skill is a huge thing, how they can shoot, pass, uh, rebound the ball. But what are the other things that you look for when you're looking for a player? First thing I look for is quickness with as much size as possible. Then the ability to shoot the ball. And then I want to see the kind of character you have. I'm going to watch your body language. I'm going to watch how you react when the coach gets on you. I'm going to watch how you sit in a huddle and look, uh, get eye contact with the coach. And I want to know, are you coachable? Are you a good teammate? Uh, and and can, you know, can you buy into what we're trying to, to do? And, and I, those are the things I really wanted to know. How did you find that out? Is there were there techniques that you had when you're looking at a player, you're studying him? Well, you 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 go to games and you watch, and then you talk to the coach, and you might want to talk to a teacher. You talk to the parent. You find out everything you can about him. If he's got a red flag, then you'll know it. And uh, uh, some you think you can overcome, and some you real you think you can <laughs> overcome, and you can't. Uh, but you know, we all think we can make chicken salad. Out of a lot of things, but uh, uh, I really was lucky. I I had some great young people that yeah. I coached. How important is attitude? Uh, attitude is probably the number one thing for you, for me, for anybody, um, because it's it, it, it's when things happen to you, how are you going to react to it? Mm-hmm. You miss a layup, we get beat. How are you going to come back? It's all in an attitude. Attitude's the number one factor that I talk about when I, I do some motivational speaking. And certainly attitude's the number one factor because it covers uh, so many areas 
uh, yeah. of your life. And, you know, I, I tell my players, I say, you know, you're going on campus and people are going to say, hey, how you doing? Hey, Mike, how are you today? And you only have one of five words that you can answer. You're either good, great, terrific, fantastic, <laughs> or sensational. <laughs> and that puts you in a, a positive attitude mode yeah. that you can stay in all day. And, and, and I don't want to know how you are. <laughs> I may ask you, how are you, Mike? I don't want to. I don't hear your problem. I don't want to know anything. But I want to. I want to get a reaction. So, really, attitude is uh, is uh, spend a lot of time on attitude, talking to the players about choices and attitude that were, they have. Were there players that were highly skilled that you saw the intangibles that were not great? The attitude, maybe their character, and you decided not to recruit them. Some, yes. But again, you know, you, you, if they're really talented, you try to take a chance. And sometimes it comes back to bite you, and, but not very often. But, uh, you know, you, you think if you put a young guy who's questionable with a bunch of good guys, uh, the team that won the national championship, we had a, a Ed O'Bannon and Ty Sedney mm-hmm. and George Zedek, and you put anybody with them and they would be good because they wouldn't allow them not to be good. In the locker room, on the plane, in the hotel, these guys were great, great leaders. And uh, you fell into line. It's kind of like the New England Patriots. They, whoever they get becomes great. They may be marginal players because, because of Tom Brady. He's just he's a goat, the greatest of all time. Yeah. And, and uh, I'm an Aaron Rodgers fan, so I might, uh, might have some discrepancy. Uh, you got cheese on there, your head. That's <laughs> only your problem. How much of it, you know, in practice, are you trying to build them, build them up as a leader and build them up as a player? Is it, do you do different drills? Are you, is that encouragement based or what is that dynamic? Well, I start practice with a 30 minute individual tension period. And then right about five minutes before that's over, we have, I call what my moment of motivation. Hmm. And then I'll bring guys over the board, and I'll put things up, and I'll I'll say what I want to say. How much we're going to improve today? Mm-hmm. What is our what is our motive today? Uh, <clears throat> there's going to be some games this year, fellas, where competitive greatness is the greatest thing you got to have. It's when the going gets tough, the tough players get going. It's a real love of a mm-hmm. hard battle. So it's the things that you want to say to them. But I do it individually, Mike. I call them in the office, and I sit down one-on-one, and I got 50 questions. They're all, and every one of them, you answer yes. I like, hey, you like school? Yeah. How's your parents? Oh, good. Uh, how's your classes? Good. You know, uh, you like basketball? I love basketball. Yeah, you know, you like school? I love, you know, and they yeah. go on and on and on. They're all Building answers. Building relationship. Yeah. But the bottom line is I come back to you with one question. Will you be there when I need you? And that means you got to be healthy, you got to be eligible, you got to go to class, you got to do your assignments. You can't have any baggage along the way. Uh, you got to wear a hat after you shower and go out in the cold. You got to eat right. You got to get eight hours sleep. I need you. When I need you, are you going to be there for me? And the answer is yes. So when somebody does something on the floor that I don't like, you know, all I got to do is look at. It. Hey, Mike, we got a deal. You told me you love the game, that you're going to bust for me. You're going to work as hard as you could for me. You've told me that. Ah. So I, I do that all before we ever step on the floor. I take try to take care of every bit of business I need to take care of individually with a guy. Mm-hmm. Your first year at Pepperdine went 17 and 11. Second year you went 16 and 12. What is your mindset every year of trying to – 
change tactics or are you judging your own performance? Obviously, because you're judging. Obviously, you're judging your players' performance, and that's your job to coach them. How how do you coach yourself? Well, I wanted to be. I wanted to work at my craft. I wanted to. I wanted to evaluate me and see where I needed to get better every single year. And and uh, I, I, I hope I worked on that. I hope I, I, I worked at my craft. I think I'd be a better coach today than I ever would in my life because of the all the years I spent coaching. And I know the the longer I went, the better I got. I know that. And uh, whatever Why? whatever that means. Why is that? It just it's from experience, from just knowledge of seeing how different players and coaches work, watching film. Well, I'd coached a lot of years, and we're in the national championship. Mm-hmm. Now we're in the second round of the NCAA tournament against Missouri, and we can't beat them. They make eight three-point shots. They're killing us. They hit a layup with 4.8 seconds to go, and down to the end of the court, five guys turn and call timeout. And they just all turn, and they just rivet ten eyes right through me, walking towards me. And I say, dang, that's a scary, eerie moment. But I was experienced enough to know exactly what I wanted to do. You were da- What was the score at that point? We're down one with 4.8 seconds to go. We're the number one seed of the number one seeds wow. in the NCAA tournament. And you talk about pressure. But I knew what I wanted to do and how we wanted to do it because we had been through things like that before. Mm-hmm. And I explained everything I wanted done. And, and, and uh, I had a great player by the name of Ty Sadney that went the length of the floor in 4.8 seconds and made the basket, and we moved on. And uh, I was driving down the street that summer, and I, and I thought, wow, that might have been the defining moment of my coaching career to see those five guys walking to me saying, help me, coach, we're dying. And you having the resolve, the experience, the knowledge, the poise to get through that. Do you and, take that moment in when you're in it, or do you try to block you know, the negative thoughts out? Well, you know, the I thought, thought of, Was the thought of losing on your mind? No, never crossed your mind. It never crosses my mind, no. Uh, I told him, I said, we're going to win this game, and I'm going to tell you how. We're going to do it. And, uh, you know, it was fortunate. A great player made a great play. And uh, that's just the way I coach. I'm very positive with my players. I very rarely get on them. Uh, I don't have to because I've already done it. We have mm-hmm. a bond, he, you and me. We have a mm-hmm. bond before we ever step on the court. I can just look at you and you can nod at me and I can nod at you. You know what I want and because uh, we've already talked about it. Mm-hmm. You're going to bust, you're going to play, you're going to play hard, you're going to defend, you're going to rebound, you're going to play the complete game, you're going to buy into everything I say. I've already talked to him about that. So I get it done before, but, uh, boy, that was, a, that was just a great moment in my coaching life. And thank the Lord that I was experienced enough. And, and, and the Lord has never put me in a situation I couldn't handle. That's why he started me mm-hmm. in junior high school in the seventh grade. And yeah. built me up and built me up and... I know when they called me and offered me the UCLA job, you know, they said, are you ready to be the basketball coach at UCLA? I said, I've been working my whole life for this opportunity. But I'd had nine years in Division One. Yeah. So uh, uh, you just can't take a job like that without any experience. I mean, it was, that's too good of a job to give to a guy who's never coached. That's unbelievable. Yeah. If you have a bad year, do you try to – 
put it behind you? I mean, I'm, you notice you went to the, the second round in the NCAA your third year. You went to the first round your fourth year. And then the fifth year, you went 15 and 13. Yeah, you seemed like maybe you stepped back. Do you, I was in Pepperdine. Yeah, not in Pepperdine. UCLA. Yeah, no, no, yeah. Your, your first uh, years of coaching yeah. at Pepperdine. Do you, do you put those years behind you? Do you just try to find bright spots of the times when it was maybe a struggle? You know, I did just as good a job that year as I did other years. When we went undefeated in league at Pepperdine, uh, we just didn't have, didn't have you know quite the, as good enough players as, as we had before. So uh, some of the years, you know, you just have to go with the flow. And uh, some of the years in the NCAA tournament, we had guys get sick, get hurt, and sometimes you're playing great mm-hmm. and sometimes you're kind of limping into the tournament and uh, – I mean, people want to know, why don't you go to the Final Four? Because they're very difficult. It's hard to go to the Final Four. And, you know, they're not always going to have the best circumstances in life. And you still got to be able to play the game. That's true. And and, uh, uh, it it, it mirrors life uh, in a lot of ways. And so athletics is a – I think it's just fabulous for young people to play play sport – because it teaches you know how to be a teammate, how to support each other, mm-hmm. how to how to play together and share and share the sugar and you pass to me and I'll pass to you and mm-hmm. and uh, there's so many valuable lessons in sport that it's unbelievable. Can you think of a a time? Obviously, you know you you know that game when you were down at the very end, down by one. Is there a time? You know, at halftime, I played sports and I know of a, a lot of games when we were down big at half and. It was one time I remember in junior high we were undefeated and we went and played this one game and our we were we were getting killed and we were under, we were like twelve and zero to start the season then we we're getting killed and a coach at halftime I think he said you're the you guys think you're the greatest thing since sliced bread and now what are you doing can you think of a time when you were down at halftime or by a lot and what did you say to your players Well, you know sometimes you go in I say hey. Uh, you know, whatever you feel. And one time I went in, I went, I said, all right, fellas, take a deep breath. And relax. You're out there trying too hard. You're running around like crazy. Get on balance and under control. And and let's go out and play the way we know how to play. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know that you need to scream and yell. And, and, and uh, you know, I, I was coaching one time, you know, and I, <laughs> that's crazy. I just watched Lombardi. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know he had a famous saying, "What in the hell's going on out there?" <laughs> you know, and uh, so we're practicing one day. We're going up and down, and yeah, I never, I, you know, I never said much. And and, uh, I, and I said, "What in the hell's going on out there?" And one of my players ran by me and said, "Coach, you can say that without swearing." Mm. And I never ever swore again on the floor to my players. You know, maybe official, but not the players. <laughs> <laughs> What's the you know things that people don't know about coaching that goes into it that is the work that you have to put in and people see you guys on the court they see you you know maybe in some practices but what don't they know that goes into the work of coaching Well we pri- we sit down every day in our, in our as a staff and we'll from minute to minute we'll plan a 2 hour practice in a 30 minute individual attention period and I, I've got, I can go in my garage right now and I got every practice plan I've ever had since 1964. I've saved them all. And if I were coaching today, I would have my notebook and I would open it. I've got all my notes and everything I need to, to do what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, 
I just, as a young coach, I went to every clinic. I was just blessed to to hear John Wooden and Adolf Rupp and Maury Johns and and I can go on and on. Dean Smith and Harry Lapchick and guys before you were born. Uh, and I, I got notes of all those guys. And, you know, you pick and choose of what you got. Because I wanted to work at my craft and I wanted to be good at what I did. And, and uh, I still got every note I ever took at a clinic. And I got every practice. The practice plan. is, is, is And then you, pra- you plan your recruiting, how you're going to do your recruiting. And you plan your practice and you plan your game and your, your your daily practice weekly practice monthly practice yearly practice you have all that planned you plan your summer recruiting you plan your camp uh mm-hmm. you know it's you wear a lot of hats as a head basketball or head football coach and and uh it's an enormous job enormous responsibility was that how you felt you you best were able to to learn and be able to kind of achieve success is by writing things down and setting goals for yourself like that? Absolutely. Uh, uh, wrote things down. Everything I did, I made lists. I made always kept a pad and pencil by my, by my nightstand, and I'd wake up at night and write things down. And, you know, a lot of times you can't sleep. You, you just get caught up in the moment. And, and certainly you have tunnel vision during the year, you know. I, uh, uh, God bless your wife for raising your family and things because it's a uh, you get caught up in it. It's just uh, it just engulfs you. It's it, it just uh, it just you know I can imagine you know uh, the young guy the Rams Sean McVay mm-hmm. what he goes through every day thinking and and he's a thirty one year old guy yeah. coaching the pros and he's done a magnificent job and. But you know every coach is like that. Uh, just get the, it's a it's a never ending. It's a twenty four seven kind of situation. Uh, you really, I don't ever remember relaxing much. And uh, tried to in the summer, you know, take a couple weeks and do that. But uh, I, every time I was on vacation, you know, they'd call from the office. This happened. That <laughs> happened. Summer school. This and that. And and it just never stops. Every year, you know, you talk about the, the NCAA turn, tournament. You get with the 16 NCAA Division One tournaments. You, one of those years you won. That means the other 15 you didn't, uh, unfortunately. Uh, what went through your mind the, the two weeks, you know, after you got knocked out? Did you try to, you know, put it away from your mind? Is there something that you would think about of, okay, here's what we just got to do next year? What was your mindset for the next week or two after you lost? Well, at Pepperdine, I, I never really thought I was going to win the NCAA championship, <laughs> so I was so elated to go. What a feather in your hat, because only the league champion went. We didn't have any yeah. conference tournament then, so we won our league, which is the true test of a, of a team, how you do in your conference. And uh, we 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 went and then at UCLA certainly you know you want to go as far as you can every time. I was just completely devastated when we lost at UCLA, uh, and that took a couple of weeks to recover from that. But uh, uh, I just boy, if you're coaching basketball in Division One, the NCAA tournament is the greatest show on earth, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I went 23 times, uh, 16 times in 23 years, which uh, yeah. was just, oh, I get cold chills going, you know. 
I was 40, I think 43 years old, and I'd, I'd gone to a lot of tournaments, got a lot of the NCAA tournaments. I'd been, I'd been in college six, seven, eight, nine years, and and uh, I'd been assistant six, and as at Pepperdine. This is my third year at Pepperdine, and and in high school I went a few times. I set up real high and watched these teams, you know, and. We won the league, went undefeated my third year at Pepperdine mm-hmm. and went, went to fourteen league. and zero in the league, went twenty two and seven overall. I'm taking my team to the NCAA tournament. Do you think those kids were excited? Yeah. How you think I felt? Elated. Elated to take my own team to the NCAA tournament. I remember the first time I went, I was just absolutely and then we won our first game. And won it my first year at Pepperdine. We won mm-hmm. it, won a game and that's very hard to do because you always draw one of the big schools. Yeah, but, uh, we drew Pittsburgh and beat them, and but uh, boy, there's nothing like winning, winning at home. But winning on the road is great. <laughs> but winning in the NCAA tournament is the <laughs> ultimate feeling that you can get. What was the feeling when you guys won in 1995? You went 31 and two during the regular season. Cruise through, were able to go undefeated in the March Madness, win the championship. How did it feel? I, I don't think I ever looked up. I mean, I had one total tunnel vision for, for three straight weeks. And, you know, when you win it, then the shock was, you know, it's over. And, and, and uh, uh, but it was, I think, later in the summer when you really feel good about it. And I feel really good about it now. Sitting here. <laughs> I see you got the you got the ring on. Do you ever I take the, the ring, ring off? I take it all. I wear it, you know, socially. I don't wear it when I work out and play and do some things daily. But uh, you know, I wear it in the evening and I wear it when I go out. Yeah, because you can't buy this. No. No, not very many people, like you said, not very many people have it. Yeah, only fifty coaches have ever won. A and Division NCAA, One NCAA championship. Yeah. Yes, that's true. How does it feel to be in that in that category? That's a that's a great club to be in, and I'm very pleased and humbled. And uh, it's, it's really you know when we won it, I was just so much of a more relaxed coach after that because you try so hard to win it, <laughs> and then we did. And uh, can that be a downfall? No, 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 no. I don't okay. think it's a downfall at all. I think it's a. I think you're much more poised, and uh, I was a much better coach after I won it than before I won it. Mm-hmm. What uh, kind of kept you going? You were a, you were head coach for 23 years, like you say, and you you got the championship. What kept you going those 20 plus years? Was it just wanting to win a championship and then wanting to win another one? What was your like ambition during that time? Well, I think you just try to do the very best you can, have the very best kind of year you can mm-hmm. have, and it all comes down to recruiting. You recruit good athletes, you're going to have a good team. And what was and, your pitch? What was your pitch to recruit? Say, I'm a recruit. You want me to come play for you? What's your pitch? If you lived in Los Angeles, and I've been recruiting you since the tenth grade, now, Michael, you got to understand. You've been to all the football games. You've been to my tailgate. You've been to all the basketball games. You've been sat in my office. You and your mom and dad. And I'm going to look at you right in the eye and say, Michael, tell me who loves you the most. And your parents are sitting there, and you say, well, well, my parents love you the most. I said, well, why would you not want to share your God-given talent with the people who love you the most? They're not dead. They would love <laughs> to walk in Polly Pavilion and watch you play. Now, how can you say no to I, that? You, can't, you cannot say no. You cannot say you cannot say no to that, Michael. They can't say no to that. 
Because the parents' faces light up, too. Yeah. Selling the parents is just much important and as selling the parents. And don't you ever forget the mom. Mm. Oh, man. that's. But, you know, uh, I think to be a successful Division One football or basketball coach or any, any sport, I don't care, swimming, uh, softball, baseball, you've got to be an attractor. You've got to attract people to you and to your school uh, somewhat because of you, but because of me at Pepperdine and Rhode Island, but at at UCLA and Georgia, they came to the school. They didn't come for me, but Pepperdine and Rhode Island, they came for me. Yeah, and uh, uh, just we had a good product to sell too. UCLA is mm-hmm. pretty good. Yeah, they got a name brand. Yeah, pretty good school. In the, in the number of times, you know, the, the winning seasons, the losing seasons, the ups and downs of a coach over 20-plus years, what is the time that you can remember me maybe being the most down as a coach, a time when you weren't winning, when you kind of had some struggles? Can you remember a time that you really kind of felt a lot of adversity, and how did you bring your team and yourself out of that? Well, every time you get beat, you know, you have a little bit of adversity. But uh, I'd had success everywhere I'd been, so I never let I never really let things bother me or, you know, worry about your job or anything. Uh, uh, you just you just go forward. I go forward positive. I never look in the rearview mirror and I always go forward. And if we get beat, we go out and recruit. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. you get beat bad, you better get some better players. You quit <laughs> sniveling about it. And so... No, I never worried about things like that or cared about things like that. I just step forward every day and do the very best you can and recruit and recruit and recruit. And I told my assistants, I said, you got two jobs, recruit and recruit, and recruit relentlessly. Mm-hmm. And if you over-recruit a kid, then that's better than under-recruiting a kid. Over-recruiting, is that maybe applying too much pressure? Too much pressure and calling them too much and doing it. You drove me crazy. I didn't want to come. Well, okay, fine. But it uh, didn't happen very often. Yeah. I imagine it's even more nowadays of the pressure that they're facing with text messages and their social media and everything. Crazy. Crazy. What, uh, what is your definition of success? Having won 451 games at the highest level in college basketball, what is your definition of success? Well, I'll just copy my guy, John Wooden. You know, success is peace of mind, which is a direct result of the self-satisfaction of knowing that you – Michael did the best that you could possibly do at any given moment. Mm-hmm. And if you do the best you can, there's nothing, nothing I can say. And that's all I wanted my players to do. Give me everything you've got. Go home, <laughs> go back in that locker room and look in the mirror and say, I played my butt off today. Win or lose. We're not talking about win or losing. We're talking about competing and doing the best you can. You seem like you still, you still want to coach. You still got it in you. I have a passion for basketball that can, is second to nothing. And I go out and speak a lot, and I go to a lot of camps. I go to a lot of practices and speak to kids. And, and uh, I absolutely love the game, and I have a great passion for the game. And I could still coach. There's no question about that. Do you think there's any coaching in the future? Absolutely not. Like you said, you can't be wrong right now. So why, <laughs> why give up an opportunity when you can't be wrong? No, I'm not going to coach again. I've had my run. I had a great, great run in, in the profession. I think my wife would probably take a gun and shoot me in the head. <laughs> A lot of people have that passion right now of wanting to coach, and maybe they're the ones who are starting out at a, you know, a junior varsity team in high school, or they're a high school coach or assistant coach. What advice do you have for them of achieving success and rising up the ranks in the coaching world? 
Number one, dream big. Michael, I drove into Los Angeles. My wife and I got married after I graduated from college, got married that summer, and drove into Los Angeles and knew nobody. And 19 years later, I'm the head basketball coach at Pepperdine University. And 28 years later, I'm the head basketball coach at UCLA. What a country we live in that, that you can achieve something like that. Lucky? Yes. You got to be lucky in whatever you do. You got to be lucky in recruiting. Uh, things that bought things have to go your way. Uh, 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 you got to be fortunate to meet the right people and be in the right place at the right time. And and uh, gosh, I look back and I rolled a seven. It was unbelievable. I got a national championship ring. And wow, are you kidding me? Uh, uh, so I would say to them is uh, you know work at your craft. Be the best that you could possibly be and accept, you know, uh, the role you're given, Mm -hmm. you know. I always thought that, uh, you know, I always thought that it was fate or, you know, I always thought that, you know, maybe it's a coincidence that I'm here and I'm there. But I think certainly if you believe, I think the Lord will guide you through all those kinds of things. And he certainly did me my whole life. And again, that's way more than basketball advice. That's Mm -hmm. life for no matter what career you're in. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I got my sons out of basketball and got them into business, and I just talk to them every day about being the best they can be and working their craft and being good at what they do. Well, that uh, finishes kind of the serious part, but I can't have you in here without talking so many of the basketball topics. And I know a lot of sports fans are watching this podcast, been teasing it out, and there's a lot of things to talk about. So you talk about a couple of topics. You got some time for that? Sure. Absolutely. Well, you know, the first thing I want to I want to get your take on because obviously you coached at UCLA, and there's the kind of situation happening at UCLA with the three players who were uh, arrested in China and now are suspended by the program. How is a co- how would you handle that situation? I would suspend them for the year from games, but I would let them practice because uh, I always felt that uh, that I was a teacher of basketball and basketball, and I always told my players, "Hey, I hope." The basketball class we have today is the best class you have, and it's your favorite class, and it is a class. You're learning, you're growing, you're getting better, you're improving, you're learning how to play. So it's a basketball class. Uh, They haven't kept them out of all their other classes, but Mm -hmm. they keep them out of basketball. So I wouldn't have done that. I'd let them practice, but I'd take the games away from them. They do not deserve to play in the games this year. I would redshirt them. However, knowing all I know, you know, and being the the expert I really Mm -hmm. am, I don't know everything about sponsorships and about the board of regents and about yeah. you know boosters and things like that. So so I think UCLA is playing it cautious and doing the things that they need think they need to do, and I would support the way they're doing it. When you say that's certainly been a big deal, obviously because you know Lavar Ball is the father and he is talking a lot, and there's a lot of expectation. I think uh, Leangelo Ball was the main player out of the three, averaged 34 points a game in high school. I mean that that's got to be hard on a coach of losing a player like that coming in, but your attitude is just that the team is more important? And well, what, what really hurts is those three guys would make their team better by practicing every day and mm-hmm. competing really hard against them. And uh, when you have great competition at practice, it makes your team so much better. And UCLA will not get that as long as they're out. Uh, speaking of another ball is Lonzo Ball, who played for UCLA and is now a Laker. What are your thoughts on him? You pretty high on him as a player? I broadcast the state championship game when he was a sophomore, 
and I just absolutely fell in love with him. I think he's a great, great, great player. Now, he hasn't come into the league. He's not Magic Johnson. Don't think he is. Uh, Magic Johnson, one of the top five players to ever lived. Lonzo mm-hmm. Ball is right now uh, been inconsistent, but really the games he's played, he's played spectacular. I think he's going to be a great, great player, and he's just a young kid that needs some growth and maturity, and he'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly uh, first year in the league, I think he's averaging right around 9, 7, and 7, which for a rookie is good. We were talking about this. A lot of players, they, they have a target on their back coming into the league now, and he's one of them. Everybody's after him, and he handles it very well. He's a spectacular young guy. Absolutely. Uh, you know, college basketball, he was a one-and-done at UCLA. A lot of one-and-dones at UCLA and other schools. How do you solve that problem? Kentucky, Duke, uh, UCLA all have that problem. Uh, uh, I think Adam Silver, the, the commissioner of the NBA, is trying to get get him to get two years. But the answer is the Players Association has the final say in that, and they feel that you know they can go to army at, at eighteen and go to war and serve their country. Why can't they earn a living playing basketball? So it's a it's a tough topic. Although other sports do it, mm-hmm. so uh, college football is three years. I would hope. I would hope that they would they would uh, change a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, you're never going to stop agents from giving money to young people. You're never going to stop that because it's not against the law. It might be against the rules of the NCAA, but agents don't belong to the NCAA, <laughs> so they don't really care. So I would just let the kids accept the money. What's wrong with that? I was going to say that that was that's my next topic is yeah. paying. College athletes, that's a huge talk, especially millions and millions and millions are generated. I I didn't say pay college athletes. I said give guys, if they want to give them money, let them give them money. Who who cares? Somebody gives them money. If I gave my son money in in college, who cares? But I'm the parent. But if somebody wants to give somebody some money, so what? And and another thing, I don't think we should have a draft. I just think if the NBA wants to draft Mm. a guy, he just drafts him. And you don't have to sign up to – Sign up for the draft, and you don't lose your eligibility if you're not drafted or you don't like where you're drafted. Mm -hmm. Like baseball, they don't sign up. If they get drafted, they have a choice. I go to college or I go to pluros. Why can't we do that? I mean, I see these young people, you lose their eligibility when they, i.e., sign up for the draft. You got to sign up. Yeah. Yeah, That's crazy. Then I'll ask you, you know, going back to do you think college athletes should be paid? I mean, that was a huge thing. Rick Pitino, who coached at Louisville, allegedly had a situation with Adidas where there was money coming to players. Do you think college athletes should be paid? Well, I think football and basketball should, but I wouldn't know, ever know how to do that because you could never please everybody. You know, all the minor sports would want money and want things, so I don't know that you could ever logistically work that out. And, and uh, I would probably, I'd probably step away from that, although – Football and basketball are making so much money. And, and uh, you know, the NCAA is a master of making money. Mm-hmm. And they make so much money. They make $450 million in three weeks yeah. just on the television yeah. rights, not counting sponsors. So there's so much money going into that pot. And uh, uh, I'd like to pay football and basketball players, but I don't know how you'd do it. I, I wouldn't want to even get into that. Yeah. I know everything, but I don't know how to do that. <laughs> 
<laughs> the, one, the one thing, the one thing, I think that's maybe something that would go hand in hand with maybe getting more of a less one and done. If you can encourage maybe players to stay two or three years, maybe give more financial kickback, it could go together. But we'll see. That's not for you to decide. That's not for me to decide. No, I don't want to touch that. <laughs> well, I appreciate you coming in and sharing a lot of your advice. And I, I love how a lot of it is, you know, transcendent past basketball. It's life advice. Well, I hope so. Uh, you know, I spent a lot of time with young people. I have three sons myself, and uh, uh, you know, I just want them to be the best they can be. I, I always prayed every night that my sons would be able to communicate their thoughts and ideas to others, uh, have great work ethic, and I, I would hope they were B students who had A character mm. rather than A students who had B character. Love that. That's a great way to take us out. Thank you guys again for joining us for another episode of I Could Never Be Here on Popcorn Talk. Thank you very much, Coach Hare, for coming in. We're going out with the uh, fight song for UCLA. Do you know the song by heart? Uh, I know it by heart. Michael, I'm not, thank you. I'm not going to make you sing it, though. No. Don't worry. Again, we're live here on YouTube at 410 every Monday for some Monday motivation. You can also find us on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. And, of course, it's Thanksgiving week. Have a happy Thanksgiving. Hope you have safe travels, great time with family and friends. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next time. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. Producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network. We would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.